0: Welcome to the EADV podcast. In today's episode, Professor Gutemuth is joined by Professor Peter Schmidt from the University Hospital in Zurich. He is a dermatologist and allergologist with a passion for education. They tipped the opportunity to sit down together while they were both at the EADV Congress in Berlin this year to discuss the evolving trends in dermatology education, including a focus on optical deception. Professor Schmidt highlights how education is becoming more interactive and universities are creating specific roles to enhance the skills of young dermatologists. Stay tuned to learn more about the evolving trends and the significance of optical deception in this field, as well as a new initiative from the World Health Organization involving atopic dermatitis. But before we begin... If you haven't already, check out our program of face-to-face courses offering high-quality theoretical and practical training covering a wide variety of specialties. Applications have already opened for courses for 2024 including paediatric dermatology and infectious diseases for nurses in dermatology. Places fill out fast so subscribe to our mailing list if you'd like to be the first to receive news of when courses go live. You can learn more at eadv.org. We are very excited to announce that this episode marks our 100th podcast recording so we'd like to take a moment to sincerely thank you our listeners for your continued support, for sharing episodes, for sending in suggestions and reviews or subscribing. For all of it, we are very grateful. So, without further ado, enjoy this 100th episode. And remember, the video version of this episode is also available for everyone to watch on the EADV learning platform. Enjoy.
1: So, hello to our listeners of the JEDV podcast. It's my great pleasure to be today with Professor Peter Schmidt from the University Hospital in Zürich. Peter, you're a dermatologist and an allergologist, yes. but you have, a, as I know, a very...
2: Large passion for education. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Although someone said me, maybe it's dangerous to go for education. A former professor said me, if you go into academics, go into a, education is, go, is academic suicide. You have to go into research. However, I'm completely convinced of the opposite. Education is such a powerful tool to enhance younger people and other people to do better and there's so many opportunities to go for good education that I think it's really very important and very useful. And I think that
1: um, I, I, rem- I was almost told the same thing and yeah. it, it, education was always regarded at the dead end of a career. Mm-hmm. But I think now many universities are um, making specific programs, uh, creating specific positions.
2: Yeah. That's true. For example, I can just speak from our university. Of course, first of all, if you go into an academic degree, you have uh, courses on education, two days, four days. And there's additional curriculum, which really put education on a professional level, Master of Medical Education. These people are highly useful and also there are special positions for them because they know how to improve education, to enhance the impact of it. I think this has really changed in the last decade. Yeah.
1: Um, and I have to say, when, when I look at our young doctors, mm-hmm. also we have always been hiring and being able to hire extremely gifted students in dermatology. Mm-hmm. Over the last years, I've seen a trend that they have more and more skills that we did not used to have, or that they can function very quickly, very well. And maybe it has to do with better education now.
2: Yeah, I think it has also to do with the fact that, you know, when we were students, it was just there was someone who gave a lecture and you were listening, took your notes. Now it becomes more and more interactive. You involve the students or the residents. There's also new forms of learning, like flipped classroom, blended learning, where where the students prepare tell something and you correct or enhance their knowledge. I think they grow up with this and that improves their quality of also presentation. Yeah, that is, uh,
1: I have to say, a very good thing. I remember we were together in a seminar in, in a brainstorm group for two days about a year ago in Davos yeah. where we were looking at the frontiers in atopic dermatitis and how we can improve science, uh, patient care and I remember that the fastest low-hanging fruits
2: for improvement were always in education. It came back on every level. Also, the investment. If you invest, let's say, $100 into education, you can have an impact. While if you go for experimental research, it even doesn't start at that amount. Of course, the amount is higher, but as you say, it's a low-hanging fruit that you should benefit of. And also, even if you do excellent research the education is a tool to transmit it to the community to doctors who use it to patients so i think it goes hand in hand it's not contradictory i have the privilege you mentioned this meeting to be in a foundation ck cares christina Kühne center for algae research and education the e stands for education and really there we are not bound to any uh, let's say limitation from drugs or something, and it's a very powerful tool, also with professional educationalists to improve it. For example, we we offered for our students a, a one-week course, very interactive, in the morning they see patients, then they present them, and then they present the topic, and then you add on your knowledge, and I can tell you, how fast their knowledge increases. They are students in the third, fourth year after one week, they could run an outpatient clinic with supervision. It's really impressive how much the impact of that is. So I hope
1: if some people have not been convinced yet to invest in education, maybe to go into a career in education, I think after what you said, uh, it would definitely make sense and um, we hope to, to raise the awareness for this. Mm-hmm. Are, there, are there resources that you would recommend where to go to if you want to improve the education
2: in your unit, in your hospital, in your private practice? I'm sure if you are working in an academic background there's a network or professionals who can offer you that. Uh, also EADV has offers opportunities for that, other uh, organizations offer postgraduate courses. If you look around I think there's a lot, also industry I must say offers quite a lot of very good educational tools professionally made and not biased by some knowledge. Of course, they want to promote the knowledge about the disease they they uh, treat. But still, I think it's not a problem to find good good uh, opportunities.
1: Yeah. And I have to say, I think that education is much less boring
2: nowadays than 20, 30 years oh, ago. Absolutely. It's exciting, you know, very much. We also, for example, work with small videos like YouTube videos for two, five, six minutes, and I can tell you, these things the students prepare, they look at it before they come to the lecture or they look at it before they go to the exam, while if you give them a list of three or four publications, whoop, then maybe the football game is more interesting than that.
1: So that's a... Okay, so we have um, some things to think about. Uh, I think this flipped classroom is yeah. coming more and more, no? that, that the students prepare something and not necessarily only with a book, um, but that, we, and then that they create something and then the teacher adds on top, that mm-hmm. you bring the, the real expert knowledge will then come on top, yeah. but it's a completely
2: different pyramid. I think that's a very good approach. I must say in the beginning I was almost afraid of having something like that. You know, if you have a lecture and you don't have your presentation for 30 minutes ready and it goes 40 minutes, you say, what the hell will I tell? And then the students come, offer maybe their case, their answers and their discussion. And usually at the end, time is not sufficient. uh, You can give your impact. It's very vital very interactive and I'm sure the students will keep it much better than if they just hear your lecture. You can still summarize, make some key points or red flags, but uh, it also needs some efforts from us, the teachers, us, but usually it's really very rewarding.
1: How do you think um, we have been talking about undergraduate students mm-hmm. So, um, and uh, many of the things that you recognize are also done in my university yeah. in Brussels. Um, also, we would love to do more. I mean, we have to be honest. It's a lot of work to prepare it, mm-hmm. and to, to, um, to change the approach from yeah. having a lecture ready uh, that you can yeah, repeat every year. You know? When I studied in, uh, in my university and I followed a lecture in 1996, and i saw on the slides these were the old slides from yeah, the projector yeah, the real slides there there was the date this slide had been prepared in 1977 oh. <laughs> and the professor kept uh, giving this lecture yeah. every year i think it and changing what we have takes some time but uh, i guess it's really worth it yeah. if you think how do we have to change something, how we train our residents in dermatology? Do you, I, I was had to study with a textbook and work with patients. That was how we learned mm-hmm. medicine as a dermatology resident. How, how do you think should we do this today?
2: Anything else? I think it should be a mixture. It's still important to read, to get some background information, to maybe go into a good textbook. But otherwise, case discussions is very useful presentations from their side. They also learn. And uh, also what is very nice, supervision, because supervision how they behave, how they promote their knowledge, but also uh, psychological aspects and so on. I think that's one aspect. Young people are very open to that. Mm. You can easily use it now with smartphones. We also have the tool of Putting in questionnaires, you know, you can interact with them, they can vote, they can vote anonymously. We've encouraged them to participate. I think that enhances it. Maybe it's more difficult to, let's say, to train doctors at our generation. They are not so much used. They are still much more used to the official lecture. I think blended learning there... Also, due to time restrictions, they have a fully practice and so on. Then it doesn't work. But still, if you have two or three questions in a in a presentation where they can vote, usually, they they like to vote it uh, to make a quiz. You, we we also start that everyone gets an anonymous name, and then he can participate. At the end, the one who makes the most point gets a prize. He can keep it. He can get it open or anonymously. Usually, the one who wins. He he has no shame to declare and that's quite stimulating and it's at least more interactive than just talking and you can also check whether they have understood what you said, you can sometimes make a question which is a kind of joke so that it's relaxing. Um, And in your residency training, Mm -hmm. do do you
1: have um, fixed assignments that you say residents have, for instance, to prepare certain topics to present them to the whole group or uh, are you using case-based or do you think that this is too much?
2: No, we uh, we try to have a kind of structure. One is uh, we have a weekly case presentation where the residents discuss the cases. Of course, they also need answers then. Then uh, we have also... Uh, journal clubs when they present papers and have to go on. And of course we also evaluate their knowledge by a kind of continuous exams, but it's more a discussion. You see a little bit where they stand and things. It's not that you uh, get a, a, a note or a mark for it, but you can tell, okay, you know for the first year you know a lot, but or you still have a lot of holes and so on. So It's quite structured, but of course, it could be even more structured. Okay. So, and and there was one other thing
1: uh, we wanted to talk about that is uh, a term called optical deception Mm -hmm. and whether it plays a role in dermatology. Maybe you want to quickly say what it is and how it can impact us.
2: Yeah, you know, you can be cheated by visual impressions and you should learn what is an optical deception, and you can also work with that because it alerts your attention. Changing the color of a disease, for example, suddenly it it doesn't look like uh, eczema. For example, colored skin, things like this, this can make an optical deception. And if if you work with that, it's drawing a lot of attention and it's a tool to educate people to think slightly different than you're used to. Mm
1: That's very interesting. I I had to look when when you told me that I had to look this up. And for for our audience, uh, it's these classical pictures. For instance, you look and you see you see a goose, but when you look at the same picture longer time, you suddenly see a rabbit. Yeah. Or or you see two faces looking at each other, black and white. But when you look uh, in the middle, and then if you look long enough, you see a vase with flowers. Absolutely. So these are the and this. I found this can be an issue, for instance, in radiology. I think the radiologists Mm -hmm. are really um, uh, concerned about optical deceptions in their work. They are also visual. um, I I have one um, provocative question. There is a picture. You see a lot of swirling lines, black and white. And when you look at it a little bit, you will see numbers in these Mm -hmm. lines. And uh, this is one test where, people are advised, if they don't see these numbers, they should not drive at night. It's okay. a text yeah. for, for the driver's license. Do you think that we could use optical deceptions or such a test, may there be of relevance in choosing future dermatologists that you are very quick mm-hmm. uh, in being able to discern? There's a, there's a term, it's called the, um, the optical contrast sensitivity. So yeah. there seems to be a difference in humans how well we can how
2: well we can judge um contrast and how sensitive mm-hmm. we are it's very interesting uh, the newspaper I have uh, once a week it has such a picture how fast you recognize the wrong number among hundreds i uh, it's always a challenge for me i think it would be an additional tool i wouldn't say it should decide whether someone enters or not but of course it helps to work fast One has also to say, we touch here on other things, artificial intelligence. Computers are much better than we in thinking out something like that. And the future will be a combination of your capacity to recognize disease and uh, the capacity of digital tools. And combined, of course, it's wonderful if you have it both. So we could work on that. You can learn it. But I wouldn't also overemphasize it.
1: Yeah. At what point do you think we should um, incorporate artificial intelligence training in the medical studies? I mean, it's evolving very fast. Most of us don't use it actively now, Yeah. and um, I think we need to be trained. Absolutely. Think?
2: First of all, we need to be trained when it's useful. Of course, this is an emerging disease. For example, if you have 100 nevi and you see the patient a year later, you don't know if he has 100 or 102, so the computer can help you. And then also, I think it's worthwhile to, to use it critically, but positively. That means you don't believe all, but you don't say it's rubbish. And I guess more and more we have to integrate it quite from the beginning. It, it will uh, change our future, and of course, we would also like to put our impact into direct it. Which I personally haven't yet seen how much I can do that. There's this GTP the and things. I don't know who da- works on it, but I would like to influence in the in the area where I see it. I have I have to say that if you said, they are quite quite good
1: things. I once had to make a layman's summary of a scientific abstract and I had a deadline in seven minutes. Okay. And I just put my own written text and I said, make this a layman's text with 200 words. Okay. Then it does something and uh, it came up with 205 words. So -hmm. of course I had to check again. Now comes the human intelligence. The artificial intelligence was able to make a surprisingly well layman summary mm-hmm. and but still you need to read to correct and of course it wasn't for our audience it was not a scientific manuscript so i didn't. Yeah. Have, and but and then i had to I had to get rid of five extra words but i was impressed how it speed up how, how it could mm. speed up my uh, my work um and also i i live in a in a country where with two major languages, and sometimes you write, uh, you in write one in one language, and you need a fast
2: translation, yeah, yeah. Where you, Dennis, which is not your yeah. native. It's really useful. Yeah, that. yeah, uh, I fully I agree. agree. Uh, it can also give to young people maybe uh, an, a help how to concentrate some knowledge, an article to get the key p- points from this artificial intelligence. And then of course your mind comes in. Uh, Therefore it can already be helpful, like the example you gave if the Lehmann abstract.
1: That, that was um yeah, um, so I could get the deadline. That, no? mm-hmm. that was nice. Um, Um, You have one very interesting initiative in education. Uh, You're working together with WHO.
2: Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your activities here? I'm very much involved in the education and research of atopic dermatitis. And uh, we have also realized that's a very common disease, for example, in sub-Saharan Africa. But knowledge also among healthcare providers is very limited. So, with the International Society of Atopic Dermatitis, we approached WHO and we have now the privilege to work together with them and several specialists to make an online course to, to know the basic knowledge about AD, what is the clinical feature, how does are the differential diagnosis, what could be approached in a setting where with limited resources. Of course, mostly on colored skin, but also where you have already emollients, topical steroids are not so evident to get access, not speaking about systemic drugs, and uh, we are working on that. The WHO will go through it. We'll do a pilot project in one country, how it's understood, and then this will go online, being promoted first in English, then other languages will come on. So we are very excited to, to see how the impact of that will be.
1: So you're really tailoring educational needs, region specific in the world, so to say.
2: We try, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Beautiful. So, um, Peter,
2: is there anything you would like to share with our audience? what they... Oh, I can only say education is, is really a very powerful tool that can develop a lot of passion. I And I really think to the opposite what I said, it... it gives you a lot of opportunities and now there's also career paths. If you go into education, dermatology, I'm sure you will find a way and you will be very much looked for.
1: I think that is the perfect uh, finish of our podcast uh, for this week. Thank you very much, Peter, for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you from my side for this opportunity.
0: Before you go, a quick favour. If you are a regular listener to our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback will help us improve the show and develop episodes that you are interested in hearing. To participate in the short survey, simply follow the link in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for your support. It means a lot. We look forward to hearing from you. Until the next episode, take care of your skin.